Semper parados, always ready. Many of us know it as the motto of the U.S. Coast Guard. But Jesus gave his disciples the Aramaic version long before the Coast Guard adopted it. Therefore, you also must be ready. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 24, verse 44, For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Advent means coming. And on this first Sunday of Advent, our scripture readings remind us that we're preparing not only for Jesus coming as a baby at Christmas, but also for Jesus coming again in the days to come. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 24 that there is much that we don't and won't know about the day of his return. Things only the Father knows. What we do know is that the day is surely coming and that we need to wake up and prepare for it. But how does someone prepare for something that's going to happen but we don't know when? Perhaps you've asked that same question when trying to schedule, for example, a refrigerator repair, only to be told, we'll be there between Tuesday and Friday, between 8.30 and 1.30, or between 10.45 and 3.15. Please be available then, and have the fridge cleaned out, because we'll need to shut it off to work on it. Does that mean that we should clean out the fridge now so that we're ready for the repairman's advent? Or do we prepare by keeping our food in the fridge until the repairman actually shows up to minimize the chance of spoilage? Being prepared can mean different things in different contexts, as New Testament churches demonstrated for us. As we heard last week, if you remember, some of the Christians in Thessalonica seemed to be preparing by downing tools and living in reckless abandon, figuring that since the end was near, there was little point in investing blood, sweat, and tears in our soon-to-be-consumed world. These Thessalonians were but a few of the many Christians who have adopted the abandon ship or eat, drink, and be merry method of preparing for Jesus' second advent. Jesus ran into this problem, and so did the Apostle Paul, and so did Martin Luther, and so have various Messianic communities the world over. In fact, since we recently celebrated Reformation Day, you might be interested to know that among early Lutherans there was even a theologian named Nicholas von Amstorf who suggested that doing good works is actually detrimental to salvation since in doing them, some might be tempted to think that they were earning God's favor. To which we would not be the first people to ask, well then, since they remind us of our need for salvation, are bad works better? How about sitting on our hands? That's another option. Suffice it to say that responding to God's grace with complacency has a long and unfortunate history among some Christians. In our epistle reading from Romans 13, the Apostle Paul 
tells the Christians in Rome to wake from sleep, to lay aside the works of darkness and put on the weapons of light. The Greek word hopla in verse 12 translated armor in the NRSV printing on our service folder can also mean weapons. It's the term that it's the word that gives us the term hoplite. Warriors that you may know from famous Greco-Persian battles like those at Marathon and Thermopylae. Hopla are tools for offense as well as defense. Paul tells the Romans to live honorably as in the day, that is, as you would with people watching who could see you, rather than in drunkenness, sexual license, and rancor. That is not how to prepare, says Paul. Instead, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Like putting on the hopla of light, putting on Jesus Christ is not just a passive, defensive measure, but prepares us to act, to take the initiative, and to step out. But to act how? To do what? Ask we with the disciples, the Romans, and the Thessalonians. Of course, one size does not fit all. And yet that doesn't mean that God gives us nothing to go on. Like the master in the parable of the talents, God doesn't tell us exactly what to do with the gifts he's given us. Instead, he gives us freedom to invest them as we see fit, given what we know of their donor. It doesn't mean hyperactivity, nor does it mean complacency. It means working for the good of our neighbor and taking time to rest. It means taking time to learn what to value as well as of what value, of what value we can offer. It means taking risks and seeing how they work out. Isaiah 2, our first lesson today, gives us a vision of the days to come. Going to the house of the Lord to be taught his ways so that we might walk in his paths. And with that vision in mind, we can walk toward it now, as verse 5 suggests. Walking in the Lord's path isn't something that we can pick up in an 18-minute TED Talk. It requires steeping ourselves in God's word and God's people over time. That is how we learn God's character and thus get a better idea of how to prepare for Jesus' return. We can then better answer the questions, what would Jesus like to come back to? What would he like to find us doing? God has not left us alone. But neither are things now as they one day will be. We can still strive to prepare ourselves and our world for Jesus' return. In 2 Corinthians 5, you may remember that the Apostle Paul calls the Christians in Corinth ambassadors for Christ. As Christ's ambassadors here in central New Jersey, we can work together to prepare ourselves, our community, our neighborhood, for Jesus' return. Knowing how best to do that can sometimes be a difficult thing to figure out, but gathering here regularly as a working, worshiping community is a good first step. One of the great privileges 
of congregational life is being able to discern together how we can take steps in that direction from where we are now. And so as we go forward together this Advent, let's put on our baptismal identity as Christ's forgiven and empowered ambassadors. Put it into practice, living each day ready to meet him, to make Jesus' second coming his best coming ever.